Well, we have a treat this morning because we retained one of the pastors that was invited here for the conference, Christian Andresen. He's here with his lovely wife, Cheryl. And um, I just encourage you to talk to them. Do you have a little bit of time afterwards or you have to just get out? So just a little bit of time because they're going right to the airport to return to Istanbul where he has just received his residency, although he lives in Berlin and is the founder and president of the European Bible Training Center. How many students do you have in there presently? About 350? On-site. On-site. How many taking online courses? How many? 300 more taking online courses. That's in secular Berlin. And he's in East Berlin, to boot. So not da boot, but to boot. So I just want him to come forward. He's a dear friend of mine. We've been friends for many years. And he is uh, what I would refer to as a dusty warrior. He's not that old, but he's dusty. Well, it's a joy to be here. I'm, I enjoyed the whole week, the days doing the conference and the travel here. It was nice, interesting. It, uh, travels are longer than usual uh, because of all the restrictions or different requirements they ex uh, tell us to appear. But I want to focus on something that I think is more foundational for all of this, what we are experiencing and and that is something I think we all struggle with, living secure in an insecure world. How do we do this? How can we make sure that we survive this difficult time we are in? And it's, in comparison to what we heard, not really difficult, but it, we understand this is just the beginning. So Peter writes this letter in First Peter, and we will deal with just actually one verse, uh, Peter, First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, but, um, and I might not get through all the points, but that's, I think, not the most important thing. The most important thing is that we understand where our security lies in, that we understand why we are here. To we, I, Peter wants to encourage you in the midst of your trials and sufferings to prepare you for the more difficult times to come, to help you See the things from God's point of view. Think from God's point of view, not from our view. To strengthen your faith while remaining under pressure. And pressured will be. To cause them to live by the gospel and celebrate your salvation. We have, to, we have sung incredible songs just reminding us that we are saved. So let me read just this passage and then we get into the text. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being granted through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow, let me pray. Father God, it is indeed an amazing passage, an amazing word that Peter proclaimed and told to the people who were scattered through the world and in that area where I just 
came from and just be reminded that the salvation we have is so grandiose, so awesome, that we should be reminded of it always and understand where our security lies in. Thank you for this and give us, really open up this, the, our hearts to the word and let your word really um, penetrate us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now in these verses 3 to 5, Peter described the benefits of salvation. They are already experienced in verses 3 and the blessing of salvation that will be fully realized in the future in verses 4 and 5. Since we are only interested in the author's intent, meaning what is really said here um, in these verses and the principles um, uh, in the verse making up of point four and five, we will view that later. Who God has done, what God has done for them and on this particular, uh, on, done in his salvation is so overwhelming, Peter actually begins with a praise, an incredible praise. Since God is the source of all blessings, how is it then possible when he writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, how is it possible for us to bless him? That's it. The word blessed in the Greek means oilogetos, which means in the eulogy in English, it means well spoken of. There is a bl to bless God. It is to speak well of God. You might say, you can also say, I brag about God. This is crucial to speak well of God. And the question is for you, to you, are you speaking well of God? Do you say things like, God is great. I'm so thankful for him. Jesus is, saved me. God forgave me. He's awesome. Do you speak well of God? Do you speak well of him? Can you imagine how your witness would be improved if you merely made it a habit to speak well of God every time and every day when you talk, think about him? Think just like this. When people come around me, oh, this is awesome God. Look at the trees. Yes, made them. Look at the moon last night. Look at the animals he has made. All the things and contribute that back to God. Can you imagine how the world and how the world around us would change? Those who don't speak well of God have a problem maybe. I could be, you don't know him personally. You don't know the salvation. You're not walking with him maybe. It's timid. Might, you might not want to Tell, your, tell somebody that you're really Christian. You fall into, or you have fallen into patterns of religious work, walk, that just never mention it. You're just satisfied with not mentioning. You're not living in the face where you, are, you're play, you are, where you have been placed. You've been hurt by God and sec secretly resent him because maybe you lost something. First Peter uh, when First Peter writes to the believers where they were faithfully living for Christ, sharing the gospel, and God rewarded them by force, uh, forcing the entire families, women, children, to live on the frontiers, like we talked about this the last week. 
These are the people who were called out or pushed out of their habitats. They're pushed out of their surrounding. They're pushed out of their own villages, their own homes. And they were on the run because they were persecuted. They could have resented God easily. Think about so many Afghans who are right now on the flight and Christians. You know what? When the, prayer, the request for prayer for the Afghans went around the world, and I think most of us Christians heard that from different people, I just prayed, God, close the eyes of the enemy. Just let them not see them. Just see only the good in them. Did you know that's, that some of the uh, ev most evil rulers in the world had Christians around themselves because they trusted them? That could happen. It could happen. We don't know. So, they have, could have resented him. So Peter reminds them in verses 1 and 2, they are, are aliens. They are pilgrims on the earth, but they have been lovingly chosen by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and able to follow Christ in obedience. That's for us too. If we think this is difficult times, there are more difficult times coming. And we are able to follow Christ now in obedience. Peter says um, to them that they can really focus and uh, trust him. But now in verses 3, notice how Peter describes the relationship between the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The phrase God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ identifies God in a distinct Christian way. Our God is the one or three persons in one, equally God. So Christians are to bless God as Father of their Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is always called God, his Father, my Father. Every single time in the, in the New Testament, except one time he doesn't call him Father. And that is when he was forsook, forsook on the cross. It was a time when God turned his back on Christ. As Jesus bore God's wrath for our sin. That's the only time. And he didn't call him Father. It's because of us, not because of him. Try to imagine absolutely holy, totally perfection, in eternal oneness before time, yet when bearing our sins, the perfect God-man cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about this. I know it is, we, we don't understand this, but every other time, except this horrible moment, he called God his Father. Jesus was claiming to share his nature with him. Jesus said in John 10, 13, I, am the I and the Father are one. One in nature. Later in Philippi, Philippi asked Jesus to show us the Father. Jesus said, or Philip show us the Father, and Jesus said to him in John 49, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? It's intimate. Jesus affirmed that he is 
he and the Father possess the same divine nature, that he, Jesus, is fully God, shared the same life as God and eternal equal. They function in different roles, obviously, but Father, Son, Spirit are equal, three in one. Brothers and sisters, this is crucial. It means no one can claim to know God unless you know him as revealed, as revealed in Jesus Christ, the Son. If you don't know the Son, Christ, you don't know the Father. Understand? Jesus made that very clear when he wrote in John 14, 6 and 7, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now, from now on, you know him and have seen him. I'm not saying that this Jesus is saying that Jesus is saying all. I mean, he, he just made, made very clear in the saying that uh, there's a difference. If you know Jesus Christ, you know God and God the Father. And God the Father. If you know God the Father, you have to know Jesus Christ. So everyone who does not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and God, how he's described in the Bible, does not know God. So all Muslims, all Mormons, all Jehovah's Witnesses, all Buddhists, all Jews, you do not, they do not know God. They do not know God. They will not go to heaven. Understand this. Everyone who does not know him, it's not, there's, no other, there's no other way. It's just one way. But even more frightening than that are those who say, I am a Christian, but are actually religious, lukewarm, self-deceived terrors. They're most uncommitted, but some, uh, they're mostly uncommitted, but in some are serving Christ in, in his name. But really, they don't love him. They don't really know him. And so, at the end, Jesus will say to him, depart from me, I never knew you. So who truly knows God? Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the redeemed acknowledge God as their creator, that they depend upon him like a father. They are obedient to him like a Lord. They are friends to him like Jesus, and they know, look to him as their Savior. Christ, who died for their sins, rose again and is at the in their daily is a daily source of mercy to go to. They, those people, we know Christ because we who know go daily to God and understand his mercy. And that's what it also says. Who has, according to his great mercy, borne us again. Now, now that's God's bless, blessed or the blessings. Peter actually makes it necessary for all of us to bless God. The Greek term is very strong. The original Greek sentence means, uh, reads, blessed the God, ex expecting that all people, all of us, today bless God as a source of salvation and eternal blessings. 
So that's what is expected when Peter writes it. So you guys who are scattered, who are on the run, who are frightened because people's enemy, he says, you bless God and be thankful for what you have. He doesn't say scream or fight or, or, or complain. No, he says, bless God. Focus, put your focus on something else than on your problems. Peter adores God and implores us to do the same. Why? It is the best remedy for, for our hearts that are weighed down with discouragement because of suffering. Have you learned? Have you learned that? Have you learned to focus on God when it's difficult? Have you learned to speak well about him? Next, Peter gives two reasons why we should bless God. Why? Two reasons, because there's two participles in this verse that create these two reasons why we make what we make up to these two points. When we say, when, when we, he saved us, God gives us a new life. He said, how, and, and that is said in the next part of the verse, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope who according to his great mercy has borne us, has, that we have been born again. How does he accomplish giving rebellious sinners a brand new life? How is this accomplished? How, how does he do it? And he says, through his great mercy. What is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is compassionate on someone who is hurting. It is a pity in the midst of suffering. Mercy is assumed as a genuine need on the part of a recipient, an adequate resource on the part of the one who shows mercy. Therefore, God's mercy is seen in his compassionate act of saving us. That's mercy. We needed it. Without it, we could not survive. We can't save ourselves. God chose us. Standing in his presence, God, God really chose us. He gave us new life. That is why Peter says God's mercy was the motive behind God's granting us eternal life. God's mercy was his motive behind granting us eternal life. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then by grace you have been saved. Mercy focuses on us as sinners. Mercy is needed because of our miserable, pitiful, and helpless condition. And he reminds the people, you live, yes, in, in an in a insecure world, but you can be secure because God has done something with you, and that is by his mercy. As a non-Christian, we are dead in our sins, deceitful in our heart, corrupt in our mind, wicked in our desires, all of which make us slaves of sin and had it to punishment in hell. 
That is the person who does not know Christ. Because of our lost condemnation conditions, we need God to show us compassion, mercy. And thankfully, the triple, the Bible tells us the Lord is so grieved over our disparate condition, he has a heart to help us. He has a heart to help us. Listen to what God's heart is in these passages. Ezekiel, for instance. Ezekiel 18.23. Do I have pleasure in the death of the wicked? You, heard, you know those passages. Do I have pleasure in the uh, death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than he should turn from his way and live? So God wants us to live. Or Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones who are sent to her? How have often have wanted I, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way of a hen gathers his chickens, chicks under her wings, and you, will, you were unwilling. It just shows his heart, his willingness to reach out to ones who are in need. Mercy was the reason our Lord Jesus Christ healed people of disease. Jesus could have shown his deity many other ways, but God chose to heal because those acts best illustrate his mercy and the way we should actually handle unbelievers. We should also be merciful. We should also reach out, but he is, was, did it. He was merciful to you. He was merciful to me. And he's, it says here, according to his great mercy, but, but it literally under, uh, says, under his many mercies. His mercies are so great, it is as if God, in a, under the weight of them, he has so much mercy, it's so heavy, this mercy is dominated him and they com compelled him or com compelled him to pour out mercy on our, us children. It's abundantly. He has caused us and this mercy went so far it caused us to be born again, made a new, new life. And think about Peter just wants to go back and let us understand what we already have, what God has given us already. So to understand, don't be worried about all the things around yourself. You are blessed. You're, God's given you mercy. God has caused you to be born again. So what it means when you're born again? You're born again. It's biblically one who was dead but now is alive. A dead person is alive. Born again, again, again is a picture of baptism. You, you, die, you go down in the baptistic water and the water into his death and come, on out and come up alive. It's a new life. The old is away, the new life has come. First, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, that, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. This is a picture what he's saying here. You've been born again, so you have actually a new, it's a new life. The old life died with you and the new life is, has come. 
So what would you tell someone who asks you what it means to be born again? You might say, it's a complete or full internal makeup, over. A full-blown transformation. A genuine restructuring of the, from the dead. Well, I'm just thinking, I'm watching a lot of cars being on the, uh, on, on, on the internet, rebuilt from just a rusty, broken-down thing and made to really nice cars which they can sell on the trade show in Arizona or something. And, and I'm thinking, he did even more than that. We were dead. There was nothing. No, no parts of us were good. And he made us anew. First Peter, Christians may have lost their home, friends, and income by being sent away from Rome by Caesar, but they were being made internally brand new by Christ. You understand? Everything gone, but brand new in Christ. Who according to his mercy has caused us to be born again, born again, here is a participle that points to, great, to a general time in the past when God awoke us, transformed us, and made us new. It is the Holy Spirit imparting to us new life, making us partakers of, divine, of a divine nature. It's a, it's, we call it regeneration in order to, of, in order to, of order to, of salvation, it's God who regenerated us, our heart, made us anew. Our sinful nature needed change. How many of you have ever said something about someone you should not have? Hit someone in anger, did something wrong, did something wrong. Most of us said, every day I do something wrong. Every day. I need constantly this mercy. I need constantly be reminded that I'm a new person. I'm changed. But we personally can't change it. Only God can do that. Only God can, can work through the Holy Spirit and transform us, a sinful human, and make a new heart in us. X 15.8 says, God who knows the heart bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, cleansing their heart by faith. So we are born again. What does it mean? Born again is not a religion. Religion says obey in order to, to change something. But born again means God changes you so you want to be obeying him because you're born again. You got something. God changed you. And your, your response, your loving response is, I want to obey him as Lord. Religion would be the opposite. They wanted to do something in order to achieve something or in order to, to own something but they cannot, cannot be owned, earned. Sorry, I'm, little, I'm German, so I... Sometimes my words uh, can be a little bit Germanized. <laughs> Born again is an internal transformation only God can do. 
and we understand that. Nicodemus came to Jesus one night in John 3, which were, and, he's, um, and he, he wanted to know what it means to be born again. He was confronted by it, and, and Jesus made very clear, you cannot do anything. It's not what you know, and he was one of the greatest men in, in, in Israel at that time. It's not what you can do. I have to do it. You have to be really born again. You have to have a new life. And, and his natural question is, how can somebody be from new, uh, born in you? How can go back into the womb of the, his mother? It's impossible. It is impossible. This is why it's said born again. It's make sure that it's coming from the outside. God is doing that. Born again means new beginning, like starting over, like being born again as a brand new baby. It refers to the beginning of spirit life and implies that we, that we will be spiritual growing consistently. That from then on, from that verse on, we should be spiritually growing. It's the reason you get so excited when babies are born and the reason why we clap them when you hear someone is in his testimony is born again because we see this is just the beginning of eternal life. We are excited about somebody coming to Christ. When we, just the week before we came, or two weeks before I came, we had a, a baptism of six, well, six people, five, uh, five, I think most of them were young men, right? Uh, wearing baptized and hearing the testimonies and hearing what happened with them was so encouraging to see. And this is where we got all excited about. hundred people came to the lake and looked and saw it and said they were just excited to hear the testimony, what God has done. And they just testified that through baptism that their life had a new beginning and they were growing in Christ. Born again means born from above. It is not something man can do, but God alone brings this about. It is a radical, unsettling, and totally God-centered situation. God alone gives life to the dead. There's nobody else who can give life to the dead. So we have to understand what is happening here. So he says, his grace, mercy, great mercy has born as um, his, his grace, mercy, according to his great mercy, as as caused us to be born again to a living hope, he says. So it's not only born again, but it's also to a living hope. So God gives us a new life today and gives us certainty of the future. He gave them new life today to the born, born again. He reminded us that was had taken place, but he also reminded them, you have a living hope. So what is a living hope for a believer? What uh, is he talking about? The confidence of the anticipation of a future with Christ. An expectation of what God has in store for all of us who have been made alive. Unbelievers know only dying hope. We know living hope. As believers, we have a living hope. Proverbs 10, 28. The hope of righteousness is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked is perish, perishes. Ephesians 2, 12. Remember that you were 
at times separate from Christ, having no hope without God in this world. He warns us, be careful. You have only hope if you have new life, if you are born again. No Christian has hope, has hope but uh, non-Christians have no hope, but Christians have great hope. Now remember, there is only a difference between our English language hope and certain biblical hope. Peter reads, Peter's readers are hurting some and suffering, others are facing death. They were faithful to Christ, yet now they are struggling in a foreign land. Many of, of our friends or of, of the situation we understand right now, there are so many people right now on the run. They have, no, they have nothing physically except some refugee camps. And even in a land like Berlin, where in Germany, where we had, where we are, that land is wealthy. We have everything. We had refugee camps a few years ago with thousands of refugees coming from Syria and other countries. And everybody, they were actually fenced off in our city. We walked by. Why, why they were fenced off? Because they didn't want them, that they influence us or we influence them. As Christians, they don't want that we go into the refugees camp because they knew. They didn't want that we are giving them the hope, eternal hope, which was really interesting. And yet, we had some people come to us. But they had to be invited by a letter and you had to know their name and we didn't know their names and so we couldn't invite them. So it was difficult, only if you were able to do that. But the point is here that... People, Peter, the people um, Peter was talking to, the Christians who he were talking about, were on the run. They were suffering. They were refugees. They were without physical hope, really, but they had eternal hope. God has given you in living a living hope, a certain guarantee, a con confident optimism in what it is, eternal life in heaven. Live a life with Christ forever in perfection. That is what we are looking for. We, t we are singing about that yesterday. We talked about uh, Red Revelations 5, talking about all the nations coming together and glorifying God. We know about this. Do you have that hope of heaven? Do you have that hope of heaven? Does it impact your daily life? That's a very important question. Does it affect your daily life? The certain hope of heaven. Is your heart focused on that? In Colossians 3, verse 1, it says, saying, says it, then you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He, he actually, Paul makes very clear, focus on that. That gives you hope. Heaven should affect the way you deal with trials every day. And it also sets you apart from um, the minor things in this world. Sometimes we are overwhelmed with, with things which shouldn't overwhelm us and we should refocus and think about God, what he has done for us and why we are here on this world, in this world. All the little frustration in life, corrupt government, unjust restrictions and laws, questionable health systems, daily traffic jams, difficulties 
with workers, unruly children, won't make a dent when you are focused on your future with Christ in a sinless perfection, total peace, and unveiling love in heaven. Focus on heaven should definitely change our way we relate to others. Think about how we could relate to others. When, you, when things shouldn't, material things shouldn't be, make a difference in our relationship, shouldn't influence our relationship, but how often do they? You know, most marriages, when they are divorced, are be <laughs> divorced because of material things. Somehow they play a role. This is why Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven. Understand that. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Some people ask, oh, where are you from? And I, in the beginning, I remember when I met Cheryl when we were at Logos Bible Institute, everybody said, where I'm from, I, I'm in German, but really, I don't feel I belong to Germany. I don't feel I belong where I came from at that time, from Portugal. I don't be think I belong to those countries. I'm there just for time being. It's a pilgrimage. It's a short time. Having heaven on your mind will make you more eager to share the gospel to your friends and family who don't know the Lord, who don't know the Lord. Their dead conditions and urges, urgent need for salvation will be at the forefront of your mind and you won't neglect opportunities to bring them face to face with eternal life or eternal truth. And heaven Use opportunities. You don't know if you see that person tomorrow again. So, we have this incredible perspective that we have living hope. A living hope. So, what Peter is saying This hope is alive. It's literally in verse 3. He says, into the spare of living hope, we, were, we are re immersed in hope. It is an optimistic certainty that should grow more and more each year. The more you know Jesus Christ, the more you contemplate, and the more you focus and, on Christ and, and think about Christ, the more you will understand what living hope is because you You live it as an objective of God's mercy, salvation, and hope. You have a mandate to, to look for the best to come to you and to look for the brightest side of things in the future. It is a certain future that makes this temporary suffering lose lost world, really, where we very often hold on to just fade away. Christ, the Christians and aliens, Peter writes, are feeling hopeless, so Peter reminds them of this living hope. And I think we should be reminded of that. I've heard so many critics against, and I was part of it, criticizing government and everything, but 
criticizing their decision-making. Today are elections in Germany. And everybody thinks, oh, what, what is changing? Nothing is changing. Well, we, are in a, we are in a lost world. The only thing is changing and name is changing. But they go the same direction. Our focus is on Christ. It's on eternity. It's guaranteed for us. By whom? By Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has guaranteed this. You Christians are not clinging to a fading dream. We are not clinging to a fading dream. Of foolish speculation of the future. Your, our hold is a living our hope is a living hope founded in the reality and grounded in the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. Our hope is secure, guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus dead but now alive. That means Jesus is not dead now, he is alive. Yes, he is risen, he is risen and alive. He himself was dead, now made alive like we were dead, but now we made alive. God guarantees our hope. Think about this. God guarantees our hope. Think what Jesus said prior to Lazarus' resurrection or raising. Jesus said, told Martha, John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Never. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? So, finally, I want to just encourage you. Make it a practice of daily bragging about God. Brag about God. Let your heart melt under God's mercy. Let your heart melt under God's mercy. Chose to make daily routine into heavenly remedy. Reminders. Chose to make daily routine into heavenly reminders. And turn to Christ alone for inter internal transformation. You must be born again. Let me pray. Father God, we are indeed grateful for your goodness and kindness to us. We ask your blessing on this church, but also on all of our lives that we will be this men and women who brag about you, who live you and understand that everyone needs to be born again. Otherwise, they would not see Christ and otherwise they will not, never have a living hope. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.